0: Hello, everybody, and welcome on the Good Data Morning Show. It's actually yeah. the last show of this season. Mm. And we have an amazing guest with us today, Beth Winters.
1: Beth is a licensed attorney and solutions marketing manager at Apparavi. We're going to have a very, very interesting discussion today about the U.S. Data Privacy Shield and Beth is gonna tell us all about it. But before we start um, and get to the meat of things, I wanted to ask Beth if um, you can tell us a little bit more about yourself and about your professional journey. It's very, very interesting what you're doing. You're the first person ever that I meet uh, that uh, does these very interesting things. Can you tell us more how you got here?
2: Sure, Um, well, it wasn't a straight path. I decided to go to law school Initially, in in undergraduate, I studied art history and comparative literature, which it turns out is not that marketable. (laughs) So (laughs) um, I wanted to uh, represent artists. And Mm. I focused on copyright and trademark law, um, intellectual property issues, and worked with uh, volunteer lawyers for the arts for a little while in the Mm. Boston area. Um, I worked with a small uh, boutique law firm. Um, and we we did a lot of um, work with artists and artist estates, um, so it was it was a great experience. But I found I was doing a lot of uh, what I didn't know at the time was marketing <laughs> for the law firm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was working on webinars and you know promotional um, articles. I was working on websites, um, but I also was able to uh, really hone my writing skills as an attorney, and um, a lot of those persuasive writing skills, um, being able to um, write to a particular audience, is really important in marketing as well. So some of the same skills that um, I, I learned as an attorney uh, became very helpful to me. Um, so then I, you know, made the made the full jump to marketing in um, I think 2012. Um, I had been, you know, working as an attorney for several years, and this was—I graduated right at the height of the recession, so it just wasn't a great time for for attorneys, anyway. Um, and I found myself being more interested in marketing, being more interested in promoting um, intellectual property rather than protecting it mm-hmm. on the back end. I found it was more interesting to have that front row seat to innovation, which is what brought me to um, intellectual property in the first place and working with creatives. So, um, okay. I <laughs> I worked with a healthcare um, organization initially in New York, and um, it wasn't my passion. <laughs> I wanted to be, you know, be with a tech company and again have that, you know, seat to innovation. Um, and see what was coming down the pipeline. So I uh, decided to go back to school and get an MBA 10 years after, you know, graduating from my uh, my JD. I,
1: I truly believe that MBAs are a lot more useful if you do them after you have professional experience.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, so there were so many people with different experiences. There was, mm-hmm. you know, people, other people with with other graduate degrees, but also, you know, people with just, who had just been working for several years and wanted to go to the next level. Um, So, I I mean, I loved the MBA program at UT, Austin, uh, and decided to stay in Austin after graduating, but found a good niche for myself um, with legal tech companies and with, uh, actually with Operavi, which isn't uh, a legal tech company, but we have a lot of applications in compliance and um, uh, really information governance. Well, so that's I'm,
0: I'm curious. I'm curious to tell you if find a little bit more about Harvey I think you have a couple <coughs> of slides uh, prepared for us here. Uh, I'll just bring them up. All right.
2: So I think I'm at the last slide, actually. I need to go back. <laughs> So uh, today we're going to be talking about mastering international data management after the invalidation of the EU-US Privacy Shield. Um, But first, I'll tell you a little bit about Aparavi. So what we do is we take all of your unstructured data um, and make it easily accessible to you. We help you find your data and uh, eliminate data silos across your um, enterprise. so in addition to all of the data proliferation issues that organizations have, um, there's all of these different unstructured data types. Um, they're, they're challenged with the distributed workforce with these data silos. Um, and now on top of that, we have a complex data privacy landscape um, with fines for non-compliance. So part of that is GDPR um, under the EU, um, but every country is taking their own approach to data privacy now, um, both in the EU and out. Um, In the US here, we don't have one federal law. Each state has their own laws. So it's becoming uh, really difficult to keep track. And most companies um, will take the approach of the most onerous data privacy law that they have to um, comply with and just use that as their standard.
0: And and Beth, sorry, uh, I don't want to ruin your flow here, but we we do have a great question from uh, Kate. Are there any particular industries or clients that Aparavi is focusing on?
2: So we actually um, are working with enterprise companies with a lot of legacy data. Um, Our our use cases are not particularly um, industry driven, but we have a lot of clients who are and partners who are in um, legal data services. Um, we also have in-house um, uses for for this. So, our some of our use cases um, are more about um, mergers and acquisitions to accelerate your data discovery, um, data storage optimization, transforming your legal data services, data migration. Um, compliance and privacy, and just enterprise search more in general. But as overall, we help organizations find and unlock the value of their unstructured data, um, reduce risk, cost, and create value. So we've uh, really, um, our secret sauce is kind of these classification policies that we have 140 plus classification policies that you can apply, including GDPR, CCPA, um, LGPD is the Brazilian data privacy law, mm-hmm. as well as other um, ish, compliance issues that you might have to be aware of depending on your industry. So, HIPAA is for healthcare, um, SOX is more of a financial issue, and GLBA, FCRA. Um, the New York uh, Shield Act um, is New York's um, cybersecurity standard. Um, so we we can really help you easily filter your data and understand your data landscape at a high level, as well as um, with in-depth search capabilities um, with our metadata classification and content classification through um, optical character recognition.
0: And Beth, sometimes the challenge is for the company to keep track. Track of some of these, and especially the PCI does change from year to year, if not um, more frequent. In that, I guess with Aparavi, then you don't need to worry about it anymore because those those rules are already being maintained by you guys. Exactly.
2: And- Yeah. Yep. And that. And so we update the laws with any changes, um, any regulatory changes. But we also add new laws as they pop up. Like LGPD is a is a new one. CCPA is relatively new. And now they have um, CPRA, which is the um, newest uh, California law um, that was voted in in November.
1: Wow. But Uh, are they at any time contradictory?
2: For the most part, they're all um, generally modeled on the GDPR. So I wouldn't say that they're contradictory, but they have different levels of protection. Um, The GDPR is one of the most stringent, Mm
1: -hmm. right?
2: But, and CCPA now with CPRA has has, um, brought itself more in line with GDPR to be more, to be stricter. Um, But in the U.S. there's Different causes of action that you can bring in in court um, when there's a data breach um, under California that you can't really do in other states. There's no private cause of action in New York, for instance.
0: Very interesting.
1: Yeah, I
2: know. (laughs)
0: So, um, you know, what's great about this and what you're presenting here on this slide is I was chatting with this one company a couple of weeks ago, and what they were worried about is, you know, it's so expensive to keep track of everything, we kind of have to really pick and choose at times, because we want to see where do our most customers come from, what sort of regions do we need to serve, Exactly. And what, what laws, what regulations we need to comply to because we can't track everything. It's just so too expensive. It is, and, and with-
2: to have different policies for each different you know consumer that you have depending on what state or um, country they live in is ridiculous. So um, we make it a lot easier for our uh, customers to, at a high level, see where um, their data is and what types of data might be a concern for them. How much um, sensitive and uh, personally identifiable information does the company have? How much um, um, you know, credit card information does the company have? And then after they know what types of data they can collect, it's kind of this like chicken and egg, right? They want to um, know what type of data they have before they make the policy. Um, so now they can start to create rules for their organization and ask themselves, do we actually need to be collecting this type of information? Should we be retaining it? Is there a better place we can store it? Um, and with Aparavi, take action on that so they can move the data, archive it, um, you know, put it in a more secure location, um, or defensively delete it. Um, we talk about data minimization. Um, as really important in Operavi. So Hmm. do you actually need all of the data that you're, that you're storing and that you keep backing up continuously? Um, What is it, what's, what's there that you're, that you're um, saving? So once you can identify what those high value assets are and separate it from your redundant obsolete or trivial data, um, the junk that uh, you could, you can save a lot of money on storage costs and, and infrastructure um and you are just in a better position to also serve your customers
0: right and it reduces their risk right so exactly in case of whatever litigation discovery you don't need to go through those files anymore if you don't need to store them it saves you money time
2: right so i mean so we have we have applications in you know the healthcare industry um, for legal roles compliance roles um, but also IT in general, as they're optimizing their data, um, business uh, people will be interested in, you know what kind of insights can we gain from our data. Um, right now, those insights are um, locked off because they're uh, in data silos. So by creating this index, of all of the metadata and content without actually moving any files. Uh, We allow our companies to search their data um, and to get those insights, um, remove data silos without having to create a whole new um, data warehouse or data lake. Um, We we don't move the data at all. We just read it for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And give you give you access to that. So you can exploit it for insights and for, you know, revenue, um, new sources of revenue, or for, you know, just uh, reducing costs.
0: And Beth, is that even for those files that are residing on on the employees workstations or just it has to be in the cloud?
2: Nope, uh, we are we work with um, endpoints, servers, nas, um, on premises. and um, you know we also we also have those cloud um, capabilities. So we bring it all under one uh, in one place. You can access it, you can search it, um, and then you can t- um, take action on it. We make it easy for you to, Um, understand where your data is at a high level, Mm -hmm. Um, but also if you need to respond to a data privacy request, a DSAR, um, data subject access request. Um, If a consumer wants to know what type of information you have or they ask to delete that information, um, you can find information right about that person um, easily across all of your enterprise storage without having to go into each Different storage repository to search individually, um, saving a lot of time, making it a lot easier to comply with these requests that often have a quick turnaround time, um, which are like 30 to 45 days in the case of GDPR, or CCPA. Um, so it's there's uh, a lot of different applications. Just having having the access and the information at your fingertips.
0: Oh, absolutely. As uh, Ravid from the Ravid Show is here, and, <laughs> and he's saying that so many compliances in place, I can only imagine the work. The good thing with using, you know, Aparavi is that a lot of this really happens behind the scenes. You don't even need to worry about it and it's making your life easier.
2: Right, and we can export the data to your platform of choice to, act, to view the view the data and uh, manipulate it as well. Um, so whether that's an e-discovery company, um, for their software vendor, um, they can do the e-discovery review in um, in their platform of choice, but with Aparavi's data and insights. Mm-hmm.
0: And we have uh, Jean-Francois here from uh, France, who's obviously. Uh, oops, sorry about that. <laughs> but you know, it does affect him as a customer because he does reside in Europe. But we also have uh, Rajendra from uh, India here. And are there any regulations in that part of the world that you, you are aware of?
2: Um, I'm not sure what India is doing right now. I know that they usually, in terms of legislate, legislation, they like to wait and see what other countries are doing before they put something in place, um, like they've you know done with cryptocurrency <laughs> and uh, other types of laws there. Um, but they're you know based on the uh, British system, so I imagine they'll probably follow GDPR. Um, There's other countries that have um, arrangements with Europe um, under GDPR. They've they've uh, determined that their laws are adequate and, uh, up to the standard of GDPR. And um, other territories like Canada and um, Israel, for instance, those are uh, ones that you can export data to more easily than the US, for instance.
0: Thank you, Beth. And uh, you're you're having some validation already from the audience. <laughs> yes, you you definitely know uh, your stuff very well. But yeah, go on. So Diana. it's not. We keep interrupting Beth with her her slides here.
1: No, it's fine. I'm sorry. I'm I'm just wondering, looking at this digital transformation journey. So if if a company contacts you, how long does it take to mm. go through this journey? So from the moment they contract you until you know the data is ready? Well, I mean, it can take um, just around
2: 30 minutes to get your um, information um, into the platform. We just need to um, have a a install on each of the different um, servers or storage repositories that you're interested in. Um, So mostly it's an issue of coordinating with IT uh, to get that that underway. Um, after that, your data will start populating and, you know, you'll have access to insights really quickly. Wow.
0: Yeah. I would imagine the procurement process maybe takes longer than <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, <it laughs> yeah. Yeah. right.
2: Because you're, because you're deploying it across the entire enterprise or, you know, you might decide just to use it for uh one, one, storage repository initially to see the value of operavi. And we have a um, trial that you can do with five terabytes of data um, free. So you can use one classification policy, see how it works with your data, and then decide to deploy it across the rest of your organization later.
0: Right. Mm -hmm. And we did have a question from uh, David Lee here. Uh, Do you think it's best to take the most stringent Though uh, he's saying you've already answered it, so I yeah, like how Aparavi <laughs> yes. is so in tune with its uh, potential customers already.
2: We um, most most companies do take the most stringent laws, but it depends on your organization, right? Um, it depends where your customers are. So if you're a multinational corporation, yes, obviously you'll you know you'll have other uh, country laws and state laws that you'll need to think about. You'll want to go with the most stringent. But if you only do business in uh, a particular state, you know that doesn't have as stringent data privacy laws, then you might not want to um, go to that high level yet until your business reaches that uh, that level of um, proliferation.
0: Thank you. Okay, sorry for uh, the interruptions. I I don't. Well, we might intro to you again.
2: Yeah, don't, <laughs> don't promise anything yet. Um, yeah, but I, you know, I'm happy to jump into the um, the GDPR and EU-US privacy shield. Um, you know, we can we can chat about that if you guys are ready.
1: Yes, please. <laughs> We're born ready to talk about this.
2: <laughs> um, well, so in um, we had this decision last year called SHREMS2, which invalidated the US privacy shield. Um, And after that, there were a lot of questions. What do we need to do now to um, transfer data legally under GDPR? Um, So some some, uh, companies were just opting not to transfer data at all to the US or to some other countries um, that were problematic. Um, we later were able to get more guidance from, um, from, from European, um, uh, law that, uh, they had, they came up with a six step process from the EDPB for third country data transfers. Um, so we're, you know, I'm happy to take you through those steps that really, you know, make it a lot easier for the company to, um, decide what to do with their data for for data transfer purposes. Yes, please. (laughs) So first, um, we want to map the data transfer, know the transfer. So we want to understand whether um, the data is relevant and limited to the necessary business purpose. Um, That's going to be, you know, part of your overall strategy as an as a corporation you don't want to transfer more than you need to Um, and you know to limit your risk um, of a data breach right so then um, once you've decided where you want your data to go and which data you want to um, transfer you pick a transfer mechanism um, with the GDPR um, and with SHREMS too, in this decision, they they did say that, you know, you can still use standard contractual clauses um, and binding corporate rules. Um, There are also these exceptions called derogations for specific situations under Article 49 of the GDPR. Um, Or you can, you know, if you are able to get consent from the, um, the, the,
0: consumer data
2: subject yes from the consumer Mm -hmm. then you can go ahead with that transfer as well
0: and is there one of the four that's maybe used more that's the preferred choice
2: so standard contractual clauses um are going to be helpful more on an um ad hoc basis um Binding corporate rules are really useful for those multinational corporations that have to do data transfers regularly. Mm. Um, so those corporate, those binding corporate rules will have to be um, approved um, under the GDPR. But once they're approved, then you can use those going forward. And it basically just kind of outlines the data um, security standards and uh, protocols that you're going to Put into place to protect the data. Um, so those um, those are standard contractual clauses and binding corporate rules are are definitely the most often used because we we don't have the um, EU US Privacy Shield anymore to rely on. But there's also these other countries that do have adequacy decisions that um, the GDPR has determined uh, those laws are up to the standard of gdpr mm-hmm. um, so there's 12 countries you can uh, and territories that you can check if the if you have one of those adequacy decisions like i mentioned um canada and um, israel are are two of those um next you're going to if you don't if you are transferring outside one of those 12 um you have to do your own analysis, whether the country has their own adequate safeguards. Um, In the case of the US, they found that it doesn't. And one of the issues with the US and with the UK that they're concerned about is that the federal government can access the data, um, like with a warrant. Uh, They don't want to give the government access to European citizen data.
0: Right. I know it's the same for Canada, and, and I work for uh, an education institution that's part, I guess, funded by the government. And because of that, we're not allowed to pass any personal information over onto the U.S. servers because of that reason alone.
2: Yeah. Um, and that's one of the concerns about the U.K. as well, right, with, um, with Brexit, now that they ha- they need to decide what they're going to do in terms of data privacy protections. Um, so that's, you're going to have to do your own analysis at that point. Right. Um, and you should rely on legal counsel. <laughs> you shouldn't really have to do that on your own. Um, if you determine that the protections are not adequate, you're going to have to implement supplemental protective measures So these can come in three different flavors, technical, contractual or organizational safeguards. technical includes encryption or anonymization. Um, Contractual would be where, you know, through those standard contractual clauses, um, for instance, you're agreeing to um, enhanced audits or, you know, you're committing to transparency. Mm -hmm. Um, you're committing to those GDPR standards for data production.
0: And Beth, through Aparavi's um, system there, are we able to identify what data needs to be anonymized, for example?
2: Yeah. So prior to, if you're planning to do a data transfer um, using Aparavi, which, you know, we, we um, help you with data movement, we, uh, can analyze the data first to determine what types of information it has, if there's anything that's personally identifiable under GDPR or um, you know, CCPA, whatever, the, um, whatever your interest is, credit card numbers, so it, it checks for names, it checks for addresses, um, any of those types of information that um, fall under personally identifiable or sensitive data, under GDPR, we check for, and we help you identify those files that contain it, then you can take action on those files to decide, do you need to encrypt them or are you going to delete the references, redact them uh, with a different tool, perhaps through you know any discovery vendor or a different um, type of uh, software, and then you can take it back to transfer. All right. Um, but uh, in addition to those safeguards, you're going to also want to implement um, data minimization procedures, like we like we talked about. Um, you don't want to keep more data than you need because it just poses risk. Yeah. Um, and companies are starting to realize, you know, maybe more data isn't always the answer. Um, Maybe it's more about data quality. Maybe it's what are we doing with that data? Are we getting useful insights from it? Um, So those are part of those procedures um, that you'll want to implement internally to determine what types of documents do we want to retain? What types of information do we want to collect on an ongoing basis from our consumers? Um, maybe there's certain types that you just don't want to collect anymore because it poses too high a risk and you're not actually using it for any business purpose. You know, that's a good reason not to uh, collect it in the first place and start to delete what yeah. you do have.
1: Yeah, not to waste those resources of time and money and storage space. And exactly, else. right.
0: We have a question here from uh, Mike Kraft, and thanks, Mike, for joining in. You guys are touching on a ton of uh, key points. This is great. Thank you. Beth is knocking it out. I agree. (laughs) So uh, here's the question. Are there highlighted differences under Privacy Shield for organizations to address business content versus HR content? Or do they just need to highlight how they are addressed in their policies? Great
1: question.
2: Um, So we're... So the, so the privacy shield isn't um, in place anymore, right? For the, the EU, US, um, but in terms of GDPR standards um, and in other data privacy laws CC, like CCPA, um, there are some differences between employees and consumers that you need to be aware of uh, when they're creating a data subject access request. Um, and you're collecting that information for different purposes, right? Um, so um, I, there's, you're going to want to have a policy for each when you're um, creating your internal procedures. How do we want to handle employee data versus how do we want to handle um, consumer data? Those are going to be two different questions. Um, and when an employee does leave your, um, you know, your corporation, uh, what do you do with that data? That's gonna be really important. Uh, you probably don't want to retain that data anymore. Thank you. But it's still, it does still fall under data privacy laws. Um, so it's definitely a valid concern. Thanks Beth. Um, so there are Uh, again, we have these classification policies that can help you to narrow down those those types of information and see what you are planning to transfer, if if it's problematic, if it's risky, um, and then you can avoid that risk. Um, The last two steps on this six-part process are to document your approach and to reassess it continuously on a regular basis, because the laws keep changing <laughs> right. and the landscape keeps changing and your organization keeps changing, right? And your needs are going to change about what, do you, what types of data you need and um, maybe your software um, will change. So you'll want to understand what um, your business needs are and what types of information you're, you should be collecting going forward.
0: would you say that maybe by using Aparavi could even lessen that documentation part because we're now saying, well, you know, we're using Aparavi that's part of our approach.
2: Right. Yes. Well, so in terms of documentation, um, you can export your search results really easily. And so that will give a, um, that will show, you know, whether the data is kind of clean, ready to go. um, Mm -hmm. Once you're, once you've exported the data that doesn't have the, um the problematic information so once you're you've removed that you can run it back through operavi and show that it's good to go
0: and the reassessment approach how you know what's that regular basis how often what we need to reassess it
2: so they i mean at least annually um but it can be more frequent depending on um whether you have a big change to your organization, maybe like a restructuring or um, merger that changes some of your Mm. business needs and purposes.
0: Right, right.
1: I'm curious about something else that is only slightly related. When do companies come to you after they've been sued, before <laughs> they've been sued?
2: <laughs> well, we recommend that they come to us uh, <laughs> <Three> proactively <more. laughs> and um, to get their data under control because these fines um, are... They can be they huge. Can be to, they can be huge. 4% of your annual revenue um, in the case of GDPR. Um And then, you know, we're like $22 million. Um, That's a lot of money for a lot of organizations. So we recommend you uh, get your data act together sooner rather than later. Um, We help you understand your data. So it's not just for compliance um, and legal purposes. You'll also get a lot of business value out of it um, Mm -hmm. and be able to reduce costs overall for IT by uh, removing those files that don't serve um, your business purposes anymore, which are those uh, junk files. Like they could be, you know, your employees are downloading music files. (laughs) They could be um, things like you're um, saving uh, too many copies of this backup that you don't need to uh, to keep backing up maybe they're files you haven't accessed in like the last four years or the last 10 years you know we can tell you when when they were last accessed um so you can see what are the most relevant files now and get rid of those ones that you know might be confusing um in terms of data silos you know just having access to that data saves a lot of time for your employee personnel They can find the most relevant files without having to dig around or call IT um, every time they (laughs) they have a request. Um, They have access to uh, Aparavi as a resource to identify which files are actually useful before they pull them. Mm -hmm. Um, So you don't have um, egress fees either, right? For some of those archived uh, storage locations.
0: And in terms Um, of files, what sort of what type of files are we talking about?
2: So we're talking about any type of unstructured data, anything that's not in a database. We're um, able to see if employees are downloading uh, documents to their desktop that they shouldn't be, um, that have personally identifiable information on it. Um, you know, now that where everybody's working remotely, it's becoming uh, even more concerning, right? To To keep track of what are your employees doing and are they um, complying with your internal protocols.
0: Right, right. All right.
2: Um, Yeah, and you know, so overall, Aparavi helps you um, map, index, classify petabytes of data across the enterprise with data intelligence and analytics. Um, We help you transfer your data simply and securely with intelligent data migration and retention and reduce risks, demonstrate compliance and gain control of your data with automated data compliance and privacy. And you can find out more um, at our website um, or sign up for a uh, trial, um, try to get started at get.aparavi.com. Awesome.
0: Awesome. Well, you heard it here first. Go to get.operavi.com and check it out. Well, thank you so much, Beth. We, we do have a uh, couple more questions here. Great. And, uh, you know, it's it's really great great feedback. Well, I would say kudos to Beth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Kate to learned a lot about privacy for sure. And as Ravid is ma- mentioning, oh, sorry, you are a privacy winner.
2: I, I agree. I agree. Thank you. <laughs>
0: So Rajendra is first curious, what's the etymology of the name Aparavi? Do you know where it sort of came from?
2: Yes. Um, it is from, I think, Latin maybe. It's like Aparavi. Right yeah. Um, it was yeah. To, it, yeah. So, <laughs> sorry, I'm not, I'm not like Latin fluent, but <laughs> yeah. that's where it came from.
0: Awesome. Awesome. And we have another uh question from Rajendra, Though It might be way beyond this topic, but he was wondering if you can speak a little bit about the recent u s European government actions hearings against facebook Google Twitter. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I think it might be
2: that's kind of like an entire hour long conversation
0: <laughs> but
2: um th- but yeah there's a lot a lot of um risk um that these companies have. Expose themselves to uh, because they collect personal information, um, and that's their but that's their bread and butter. That's like what that's what they do. Um, they're selling uh, consumer data information for advertising purposes. Uh, one of the interesting things I saw was that I don't remember if it's Facebook or Google was going to stop. by 2022 or 2025, they're going to stop collecting uh, the the cookies on um, people that would follow them from site to site Mm -hmm. um, and just do these targeted groups, um, like cohorts. Um, So there's, some news coming out of that i'm not uh but i'd I'd look into that a little bit more i haven't done that much research
0: yeah absolutely and you were mentioning before the show that the u.s government is really playing with the idea now on implementing their own regulations that are somewhat similar to gdpr maybe
2: yeah well california you know usually paves the way with with legislation um they're you know they're uh they they get it get, they get a good model in place usually. And other states have followed. Um, so New York has has a has a law, um, the New York Shield Act, but um, mm-hmm. Virginia just um, enacted a data privacy law. Um, so you're wanna you're gonna want to um, keep an eye on that. there's. Do you find
0: it more challenging, Beth, for companies to deal with this at a state level and not have something that's overarching for the entire oh, United yes.
2: States? <laughs> definitely, definitely. It's, I think, with any sort of, um, you know, U.S. organization, they they like to have a federal, higher level mandate rather than mm-hmm. have to go state by state. I mean, some companies like. Uber have gone the route where they, they, um, ask permission later. Um, (laughs) and then they go, you know, fight with the state government over, you know, what they, what they can and can't do. Um, you know, that, that can, that can be effective in, in some places. Um, but you know, here with data privacy, you're, you're talking about a lot of risk for, not just for, um, your consumers whose data might become exposed, but also for um, your own corporate data that could be exposed. So you don't really want to play around with those confidential files either. Um, It makes sense to protect your organization thoroughly um, and make sure that you can avoid any data breach. Mm
1: -hmm. We can say you want to Aparavi your data. (laughs) For it to become like a, a word, yeah. <laughs> yes,
0: yes, we can make it into a verb.
1: I'm curious, where do you gather all this information um, regarding all these legal changes and all these laws? Given that they're they come from so different, so many different institutions and countries. Yeah, How I mean, I re-
2: sure? I rely on um, educational organizations like IAPP, um, and Compliance Week. Um, you know, I, I keep on. I keep abreast of the uh, the legal changes through continuing education. Um, I, you know, it's it's a constantly changing landscape. Though there's there's news every day on data privacy. Um, so you know, I I just um, keep on top of the those updates from those educational organizations that you know really care about these issues. Mm-hmm.
0: And Abeth, back to my question on the uh, the federal level regulation. When when do you think that might come into place, if it will come into place? Do you think yes. it will take years, or do you think it will be something more soon?
2: I think it. I mean, given the current administration, last year I would have I would have said, <laughs> I don't know, but um, I think I think it could be within the next four years. Um, we're on companies and politicians are understanding the, um, the risks of data and the law is finally starting to catch up to the technology. Um, now that we've had, you know, the pandemic where um, more courts have moved online for hearings, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's, there's going to, there has to be a big change for for uh, the legal industry to catch up, and for legislation to catch up to be on top of yeah. those those issues, and we've seen you know breaches on the state level, data breaches. We've seen um, data breaches at such a high level with um, you know um, big companies, but um, we've also seen you know how that can impact uh, the election process. So there's a lot of concern and fear. Um, rightly so that you know we should have a response. And there, it's not that the U.S. doesn't have any data privacy laws on a federal level, but they're piecemeal and they're you know related to mm-hmm. different industries, so financial sector or healthcare for HIPAA. Um, it's there's no one overarching uh, data privacy law that protects all consumers and gives right. consumers that those same rights that um, that that uh, the GDPR does, so they don't have a course of action. There's no place to go here, right now if right. they have a complaint if they don't live in California.
0: Like Rajendra was saying, I mean, it's, the data selling is not really being addressed. Yes.
2: Yeah. Well, it's they're definitely it's definitely a conflict, right? And that's where um, the government has to step in and say, you know which rights are more important is it going to be you know the rights of the consumers um to have privacy which is like in our constitution (laughs) or is it going to you know be for these businesses to sell and make money
0: and once you have uh, maybe a federal level regulation legislation do you foresee then the state ones will cease to exist or they will have to coexist
2: no, they'll. I think they'll basically same. It depends if they're if they're more stringent than the federal law. Mm-hmm. Um, I would think that you know, in the case of past federal legislation conflicting with state, um, states can always you know have have more more stringent requirements. Mm-hmm.
1: So, how does this knowing all of this and being an expert in this area? How does this affect you as a consumer and your decisions? It, and what do you suggest <laughs> to us?
2: Well, it definitely um, makes me, you know, uh, more hesitant to share my information um, as a consumer. But I think more as a marketing professional that it that it's that it's interesting because it. Um, helps us to understand you know what types of information should we be collecting about um, our our customers um, through operavi um, you know it's it's really I mean I don't I don't think most uh, marketing people have this t- this level of understanding of data privacy law um, that they can you know offer the same types of um, promises to their, their customers that we do.
0: Mm -hmm. Right. Well, like Tom was mentioning here, it's so hard to keep up with such things when you must focus on so many other things. And definitely that's not the, the forte of the company. I mean, that's one of the reasons why you want to rely on a company like Aparavi to come in and help you digest some of these things.
2: Right, and you know we we are the you know data intelligence and automation platform. We just care about removing those roadblocks for you and giving you access to your data, um, giving you that intelligence safely and securely without without data movement, um, and helping you uh, reduce your risk um, and just um, you know be be, uh, be operate more efficiently there's a lot of benefits to operavi that are just outside data privacy.
0: So Mike uh, is wondering for organizations that seem to think this is over overwhelming. How does operavi suggest they begin? What's that first step?
2: That first step is to, um, call us for a demo and go to get.operavi.com. Um, but you can also download directly from, um, the Microsoft Azure marketplace and, uh, Start with a free trial. I would take up to those five terabytes of data with uh, one classification policy, and just see how it really can benefit you. And if you're not able to um, to do that with your organization at, at you know initially, we'll we'll um, we'll show you like the demo how how we can help other organizations. Um, we'll um, you know take some will help you with IT to get that information um, into Aparavi so you can uh, take those next steps.
0: Thank you. Mm -hmm. And Raju is wondering at the moment, looking at the dynamic US landscape on privacy, which laws are in enforcement that organizations are expected to be complying with? And I would assume based on on the slide that you had, it's all the 160 plus regulations, (laughs) legislations. I mean, if if, uh, you have data that would need to comply to it
2: right um yeah it's going to depend on your organization um what industry you're in um uh, but it's also going to depend on um what state your customers are in so having access to um this this index would be you know really helpful for you to just understand at a high level who are your customers and which laws you need to be aware of Um, But as always, you know, uh, consult legal counsel um, within your organization and uh, it's uh, going to be more of on a case-by-case basis, depending on what uh, country you operate in.
1: So Beth, if you look at your past uh, clients, is there any story of any organization that stands out? I don't know, some... You, you saved them from, I don't know, a lawsuit or something that is, you know, interesting and made it really, it was satisfying for you and you it was a good experience for, uh, for you professionally. And of course, you don't have to give any names.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, we, we help, um, we've helped organizations um, reduce their uh, data by up to 40%. Um, to help them really, you know, save a lot of money on storage and and infrastructure. Um, So that's really rewarding to uh, have that high level of impact with an organization. And then they can use their budget for better purposes. Right now there's, you know, budget is is definitely an issue for a lot of companies that um, they need to be concerned about. And on the IT side, they've been, Playing catch up, trying to just be on top of um, the remote uh, work, um, getting getting their um, employees access to <laughs> uh, to information in the first place. Um, that's something we can help with. I I think like right now with the increasingly um, remote world, with the pandemic, there's a lot of um, benefits to Operabi where you do have access to those endpoints compared to other types of uh, software.
0: Thank you, Beth. This was very, very insightful. We learned a lot. Yes. Yes. And it's the first time we are having an attorney on our show, too. So it's quite quite a privilege. I call
2: myself a recovering attorney. So...
0: (laughs) And it's the first one that we have a lovely, funny attorney on the show <laughs> exactly. as well. So uh, please, everybody, um, if you're interested to find out a little bit more, go get a free demo. Just go to getthataparavi.com. And definitely, please also follow and get in touch with uh, Beth uh, Winters here because she has a lot to offer, as you know. Uh, I, w- I wouldn't assume that she's open for legal advice, but do get in <laughs> touch with her, follow her, and uh, and check out her content and more of her work.
2: Thank you so
1: right. much, George and Diana.
0: Well, thank, thank you. It you was, much. it was again, a lovely and very insightful session.
1: Yes, and thank you very much, everyone, for being here for your great and insightful questions. And we'll see you next time.
0: See you next Friday. All right. Thank you. Bye. Have a great weekend. Bye. Bye. You
1: too.